Uh, well, good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Cameron, and I get the privilege once again of taking us through the life of Abraham. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and I would invite you to do the same, to really pray for your hearts this morning. Every time we come to God's Word, it has something to say to us. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to pray for your hearts and our hearts as we go through this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that your Word speaks to us. We ask, Father, that you help us to uh, be convicted and to be encouraged by your Word. I pray, Lord, as a result of this, that ultimately uh, that we will love you and live for you uh, more fully and that we'll see more clearly the wonderful Saviour that we have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the more frustrating things in life is waiting. Uh, I don't think it's something any of us really particularly enjoy. I think especially for men, for some reason, we really struggle to wait, whether it's waiting in lines or, or waiting to read the instructions before setting up the IKEA furniture. Whatever it may be, waiting's difficult. And we have a particularly famous story in our family of this, but it's a particularly painful story for, for me and, and my brothers. So I'll try not to get too emotional. I don't know why you're laughing, by the way. It's a story about my dad waiting to have a daughter. You know, it was his dream. It was his vision that he would have three daughters. That was the ultimate goal. And sure enough, mum became pregnant first. First child arrives, and unfortunately, it was Matt, my brother, a boy. Quite disappointing for dad, but it's only the first, right? There's still time. He can wait a little longer. Two years later, mum fell pregnant again, and dad was thinking, surely this is the moment. I've waited these many years. And then unfortunately again, I arrived. Another great disappointment. <laughs> By this stage, dad's starting to panic a little. He's thinking, oh, I don't know if this is going to happen. I, I have to at least give away my dream of having three daughters. And then six years later, six years of long, hard waiting, mum finally became pregnant again. Surely this was the moment. It had to be the moment. All this waiting. And then Daniel was born. And well, by this point, Dad was well and truly in denial. So much so that for the first two years of Daniel's life, everyone called him Danielle and dressed him up as a girl. <laughs> Just to help Dad get through the pain of that waiting. <laughs> it, expl it explains a lot when you look at Dan today. But anyways, waiting, waiting isn't easy, right? Waiting is hard, and the temptation, in, no matter what we're waiting for, is always to take things into our own hands, to try and bring things about by our own means. And today we're going to meet another man who's waiting for a child and also getting a bit restless about this waiting, getting a bit restless how long it's taking. But before we get into Abraham, we need to quickly just recap a little bit of what's taken place. Because through the life of Abraham, what we've seen so clearly is that God's grace has been evident right throughout. He was miraculously called by God while he was worshipping false gods out of darkness and into a true and living relationship with the one true God. But not only has God rescued Abraham, but time and time again, he has come alongside him, he has reassured him, he has said to him, you will be blessed. You will have multiple offspring, as many as the sand that is on the earth. 
And we've seen that this has really highlighted God's unconditional covenant of grace that he has made with him. And yet, the other thing that we've seen in Abraham's story is that Abraham has had many times where he forgets God. He doesn't trust God as he should. He has questions. He has doubts. One time he runs away to Egypt and and tries to do things his own way. He doesn't trust God. But in the midst of Abraham's ups and downs, God continues to be faithful to him. He continues to reassure Abraham of his promise. And Abraham needed that. He needed that reassurance from God. He needed that promise from God to keep him on track. And what we saw really was this all climaxed in Genesis 15 that we looked at last week, where God himself made this covenant with Abraham. He performed this ritual where he displayed to Abraham that the covenant was ultimately upon his shoulders. It was not upon Abraham. It was upon him. And this ultimately pointed us forward to a time when God himself would once again, as Shabu already mentioned today, take the new covenant upon himself, Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, and then rising again. But after this wonderful mountaintop experience of Genesis 15, we come to Genesis 16, and things are about to come crashing down. So why don't we get into it? We've got two chapters to cover today, 16 and 17, so we'll be moving through it um, quite quickly. I just want to encourage you to make sure you've got God's Word in front of you. Uh, Make sure that you are seeing for yourself what God has to say. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 16. Here's what it says. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now, we're going to stop there. Already we see in these verses that something is going to go wrong. It's setting us up for it, right? We can already see that things aren't looking and heading in a good direction. But what I want to see here is that there is a problem, right? There's a very real problem. Sarah hasn't been able to give Abraham any children. For a man who has been promised as many offspring as the dust of the earth, that's a problem, It's hard to have that many offspring if your wife can't have children. And this was the first thing we learned about Sarah, right? Way back in chapter 11, we learned that she was barren. She couldn't give birth. And perhaps after the amazing heights of Genesis 15, Abraham thought that this would change. That God might open her womb, that something would be different. But it wasn't. And can can you imagine... I mean, we should always put ourselves in these stories to make it seem more real to us. But can you imagine what are some of the thoughts that are going through this couple's mind? Like, God's just made this amazing covenant with us. He's so sure it's going to happen that, that he swore by himself. I, Abraham, I didn't even go through the covenant. God did it himself. But, but you're still barren, Sarah. We can't have children I thought things would be different. I thought this wouldn't be the way that it would go. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe we're missing something here. Maybe God wants us to do something to help this promise to come true. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, after all, if we just keep standing around waiting for something to happen, it might never happen. Maybe we need to do something. 
maybe these were some of the thoughts that ran through their head. I think it seems very realistic to me. And so this was their very real problem, and they come up with a very real solution in verse 2. And we we all know what's coming, right? Verse 2 says this, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, as her, Abram, her husband, as a wife. So this is the solution, right? And, and when we read this, we think, this is absolutely crazy. How could this be the solution that Abraham would take another wife and have a baby through her? And Sarah's suggesting it. It just seems ridiculous to us, but actually this was an acceptable cultural practice in their time. It was normal for for a man who had a wife who could not give birth to take another wife in order to have children. So it was not something that would have been looked down upon by the general society. But the real problem here wasn't the culturally acceptable practice that they were involved in, right? The real problem was what was happening in Abraham and Sarah's hearts. The expression of the sin was bad, but the real problem was in their hearts. And ultimately what Sarah and Abraham were trying to do here was to bring about God's blessing by their own works. They weren't trusting God and looking to his promise. And we even see that in the verses, right? Look at verse 2 again. Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So Sarah knows that it's actually the Lord who's prevented her. The Lord's the one who is behind the fact that she has not had any children. But she doesn't pray and go to God about that and wait for him to miraculously change the circumstances. After all, he's promised, he's so sure that this covenant would take place that he went through the sacrificial ritual that we went through last week upon his own shoulders. But she doesn't trust that. In fact, she says... Be with Hagar so that I will obtain children by what? By her. Not by God, but by her. Despite the fact that God had promised this, God was going to do it, Sarai and Abraham decided to go against this. The blessing was hers. It was theirs in God's promise. Yet they tried to get it elsewhere. And then you think, Surely, surely Abram, mighty Abram, father of the faith, wouldn't fall for this, right? Nope, he does, because Abraham was nothing special. He's just like us. And we read, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, does that statement ring any bells for you? It should ring some bells for you. Because there's something else that says almost those exact words in Genesis. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Eve takes the apple and gives it to her husband, God pronounces a curse on Adam, and the very first thing he says to him is, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And then we read the same words here, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, the purpose of this is not to say that we shouldn't listen to our wives. That's not the point. The point is actually to show that sin always begins by listening to someone's voice other than God. 
Sin always begins by listening to someone's voice other than God. So Abraham listens to the voice of his wife. And actually, we need to be sure that we don't be blaming Sarah here either. I think that's easy, but this is also not to show that it's Sarah's fault. Just like in the garden where Abraham bared the full responsibility for this sin, so here Abraham's heart is in the same place as Sarah's. He goes along with this plan and he bears the responsibility of this in the same way. And so this is what takes place. Abram and Sarah try to bring about God's blessing by their own means. And I don't think we can actually move beyond this point without considering this question for ourselves. How might we be trying to bring about God's blessing that he's promised us in Christ by our own means? How might you be trying to bring about God's blessing by your own means? Now, it's, I think it's easy to sit here and say, well, I'm not, right? I, I don't believe in salvation by works. I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, well, praise God for that. That's good. But I would argue here that Sarah and Abraham's situation is not only talking about working for your salvation. It goes beyond that. It's talking about working for God's blessing apart from him. Because we know it's actually what's going on in their hearts that matters. You don't think Abraham could tell you the promise? You don't think he could repeat to you what God said? He could have. But it was in practice that he was not living according to that promise. And this is us, church. This is us. And I want us, I want to go even further than that and say that Abraham's sin here is actually the blueprint for every sin we ever commit as a Christian. What do I mean by that? Mean by that? Let me explain. Abraham here is in, in the process, in practice, for getting God's blessing to him, God's promise to provide that blessing to him, and he is trying to bring it about through his own means, through a means other than God. Is that not what sin is, church? It's getting our blessing from anything other than God himself. Same in the garden, right? Why did Adam and Eve want the apple? They wanted the apple to be like God. They wanted the apple to be wise like God, despite the fact that they already had that blessing in God. He'd already made them like Him. But they wanted that blessing apart from God. This is the blueprint for sin. And it's the same for us. And it's really important that we understand this, because our default position, if you're a Christian here today, is to act like Abraham did. That's our default position in our hearts. Like when we tell a lie, let's use this as an example. When we tell lies, we know that lying is actually only the superficial problem, right? We don't just have a problem with lying. There is a bigger problem that's going on in our hearts. But what we do is we say, oh, well, I need to try and stop lying. So we focus on trying to stop lying, and it may work for a little bit of time, but then it comes back. Why? Because we never dealt with the problem in our hearts. You see, the lie is a real problem, but what's going on in our hearts that matters. 
You see, when we tell a lie, we forget, actually, as Christians, we forget that because of Jesus' death and resurrection and our faith in that work, that God, the creator of all things, actually 100% approves of us. His approval of us is so great, in fact, that he delights in us. That's hard for us to get our heads around. But we forget that blessing, which is ours in Jesus Christ, and we try to achieve that blessing through approval from people. We've forgotten God's approval of us, and we try to get that approval from people, and therefore feel the need to lie and fudge the details. Do you see that? God's blessing by our own means, in a place where we should never be looking for it. The same as what Abraham and Sarah are doing. And this plays out, church, in a hundred different ways, and it's unique to each one of us. That's one of the difficulties here. You know, if you have a problem with bitterness and unforgiveness, those expressions are just the fruit of what's going on in your heart. Ultimately, that you've forgotten that God himself is not at all bitter and unforgiving towards you, despite having all the reasons in the world to be. You've forgotten that your sin before God is so much greater than other people's sin towards you. How could we be bitter? The blessing we aren't applying to our hearts is God's gracious forgiveness to us in Christ. And we're trying to get that blessing by holding bitterness and unforgiveness to feel better about ourselves. And you know, we can actually even do what Abraham's doing here with our faith. We can turn our faith into a work. And there's a false teaching going around saying that we can turn our faith into a work. And it basically says something like this. Well, if you want God's blessing, you just have to have enough faith. And if you're not getting it, if you're not being healthy all the time, wealthy, if you're not going going about life like that, it's because you don't have enough faith and it's your fault. But don't you see that that's the same thing? Saying to God, God, look at all my good works, now bless me, is the same thing as saying, God, look at all my faith, now bless me. The emphasis is on us and our works and our abilities rather than on trusting in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Do you know what that means? That means that for the Christian with the smallest faith, faith and the Christian with the biggest faith has every single blessing in the heavenly places. There is no difference there. Whether they have a great faith or a small faith, Now hear me correctly, faith is vitally important, but often not in the way we think. We often twist it into a work. The difference between someone with a small faith and a great faith is that the person with the big faith can see more clearly just how much blessing they have available to them in Christ, and they walk in that blessing. But the person with a small faith, although they have the exact same amount of blessing as that person, they don't see it. They get distracted by the world, by their flesh, by their sin. Do you see that? Jesus does not bless you more because of the greatness of your faith. He has already blessed you with every possible blessing in Christ Jesus. We can even turn our faith into a work. Just like what Abraham and Sarah are doing here. They're trying to get God's blessing apart from God. This is sin 101. So let me ask you again. Let us ask ourselves again. How might we be running to other things to get God's blessing? 
there's something in this for all of us. And, and I actually want to pause here for 30 seconds and for you individually to come before God and to ask him that question. To ask him to reveal to your own hearts where you might be running to to get blessing apart from him. 30 seconds of silence. Pray to your Father to reveal that to your hearts. Let's do that now. Now, I know we spent a lot of time there, but it's so central to our walks with God. But we need to pick up the pace because we've done three verses and we have 40 left. So I promise you things are going to get a lot faster from this point on. So this is the, this is the course of action that Abram and Sarai decide to take, right? This is the plan they've conducted, and it immediately goes downhill. Look at verse 4. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done, done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you wish. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So do you see here the immediate consequences of their actions? There is relational difficulty. Hagar looks on Sarah with contempt, and then Sarah gets annoyed with Abraham, and Abraham bees a typical male and dismisses the problem and lets her deal with it, and says, go do what you want with your servant. And then Sarah treats her servant badly, harshly, so harshly that she flees. It's a mess. And you know, this is always the way that it is. When we run for blessings apart from God, it always ends in disaster. Even for us Christians, it ends in disaster because that's what sin does. It always creates disorder. That's what it does. And yet, God's mercy remains. Look at this in verse 7. It's, it's amazing, really. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Do you see that? God sees and blesses Hagar. It's a pretty amazing thing. This Egyptian slave girl... And despite the mess of this situation, God sees her in her troubles and blesses her. And then we get this really interesting statement in verse 11 and 12. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant you shall, and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell, dwell, over, all, dwell over against all his kinsmen. 
So, so God makes this proclamation to Hagar that she'll have a son. His name will be Ishmael, which means God sees. God has heard her affliction. She'll have a son. And then we get this, that he'll be a wild donkey of a man. Now, that's actually not an insult. It sounds like an insult. It's actually a good thing in their time. But the bad thing about it is that he is going to be someone whose hand is against everyone and everyone's hand is against him. Isn't it interesting that a, that a son born from sin, a son born from a relational difficulty, is marked by that very same trait? And I don't have time to go into it. We don't have time. But this sin has far-reaching consequences into the future. Hagar's descendants will be a problem for Israel, the nation, throughout history. And even to this very day, Islam claims Ishmael as their descendant. He stands as the very opposite way of dealing with God, where you would only be blessed if you'd be good enough, and if you're not good enough, you won't be. Let's keep moving. Verse 13, it's a really wonderful finish to this chapter. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Beelahiroi, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So, so despite this chapter displaying a terrible mistake on behalf of Abram and Sarai, despite the absolute mess of this situation, God is Merciful. It ends with God's mercy. He blesses Hagar and gives a promise to her. And Hagar calls the Lord. Did you see that? The one who looks after me. Church, let this be an encouragement to us. When we ask these difficult, hard questions about how we might be running away from God to get blessing. And you might even see yourself the mess that it's made. You might see yourself the absolute devastation that your own sin is causing, but be encouraged that God sees, he hears, and he cares still. Cry out to him as the God who sees affliction, who sees hardship. This is an amazing picture of the God that we serve whose mercy remains despite a mess. And now we come to chapter 17. And it would be easy just to rush into this, but I want want you to notice something significant. Look at how that last verse of 16 ended. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now chapter 17, verse 1, picks up with this. When Abram was 99 years old. Do you notice that? Who can do the math? 13 years later. 13 years of waiting for God to bring about the blessing in his way. Can you imagine what that would have been like? After committing this sin, waiting, apparent silence from God for 13 years. What would have been the thoughts going through their heads as they waited? And yet, 13 years later, God's word comes again. Once again, we're going to see God's reassurance to Abram. Look at these amazing verses in verse 1, chapter 17. Look what it says. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may, you multiply, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." Isn't that amazing to think that after 13 years, after Abraham and Sarah trying to do things their own way, their own sinful attempts, God comes along beside them and speaks this amazing promise to them once again. He once again reassures their hearts. And do you see how every time God comes, the promise just gets better and better as well? Like, he'll be exceedingly fruitful. Kings will come from him. He will be blessing to all nations. They'll have the land as an everlasting possession. The promise is getting better and better despite Abraham and Sarah in many ways getting worse. And boy, did Abraham and Sarah need to hear these words. What a reassurance to their soul that despite their disobedience, God was going to do what he said. He was still going to do what he said he was going to do. Now, after this great word from God, between verses 9 and 14, we get the institution of circumcision. Now, uh, we don't have time to go into this. Uh, We've got too much text to cover. I know some of you are dying to get into all the nitty-gritty details of circumcision, but we're going to have to skip over it a little bit today. But I do want to make one comment about it. You see, circumcision... Some would take these verses to say that circumcision meant that the covenant of God was unconditional. It was only if they were circumcised that it was to be true. But look at verse 11. It says all that we need to know about circumcision. Here's what it says. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. You see, circumcision was a sign. It was a sign of the unconditional covenant of God. And to reject it was so serious because to reject circumcision was to reject this unconditional covenant of God. Ultimately, circumcision was a marker of the people of God which displayed to them that their God was a covenant-keeping God. Very much like baptism for us today. Baptism does not save us. Baptism does not keep us saved. Baptism is a sign of the blessings that we have in Christ. There's more to it, but that's all I want to say about circumcision uh, today. So let's keep working our way through these verses. We're up to verse 15 now. And God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah, I've been calling her Sarah anyway, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Do do you see how incredible this is? Just when Abraham thought the promise couldn't get any better... God shows him that this promise, this long-awaited blessing to all the nations of the world was going to come through his barren wife who's 90 years old. And how does Abraham respond? 
well, I think in a very human way. He laughs. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He laughs. I think I would have probably laughed as well. He's essentially just cannot believe that this was God's plan, that this was the way that he was going to bring the blessing. Now, some people try to say that Abraham's laugh was one of rejoicing and praising God, but I think that's looking at it far too positively. And do you know how I know that? Because look what he says. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, God, your plan's seeming pretty crazy. Why don't we just do it through Ishmael? It's going to be easier. But God is very clear to him. Look at verse 19, very clear. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. You don't get much more emphatic than that. No, no, Abraham, the promise will not come through your attempts to bring it. It will not come through Ishmael and your attempts to do it yourself. It's actually going to come by me. And it's going, to be, it's going to come in a, in a completely miraculous way through a wife who can't give birth, who's 90 years old. That's God's plan. Seems pretty incredible, right? And then in these last few verses, we won't go through it, but in these last few verses, Abraham displays his trust in God's words. Despite how incredible these words seemed, Abraham displays his trust and he circumcises the males in his household and thereby it displays to them that his God and their God is a God who keeps the covenant. But even now, it would still be another year. There was a bit more waiting to be had until this child, Isaac, arrives. And by the way, do you know what the name Isaac means? It means laughter. In one year time, they would welcome laughter into their home as a permanent reminder to them that they laughed at God's promise, that they laughed at the incredible promise that God had given to them, but God did it the way that he said he would do it. Isn't that amazing? God brought it about in his way at his time. That's how our God works. But I want us to see in this particular chapter that it is the promises of God that come to Abraham that reassure him of the God that he is. It is God's word that comes to him. It is the promises of God that remind Abraham that he can't do it himself. He can't bring about this promise. He can't open Sarah's womb. Only God can do that. He is the faithful one and Abraham is not. As crazy as unexpected it may have seemed, this promise would be fulfilled by a child born to a barren woman. That is what will happen. Trust me, Abraham. 
But do you know what? As amazing as this scene is, amazing as these two chapters are, as unexpected and as crazy as that promise was, this promise all points forward to another time. To thousands of years later, when another child would be born in a more ridiculous, crazy, unexpected way, this time to a young virgin woman, and this time God himself would be the child. Jesus Christ, come to this world to redeem us from our sins, who lived and died on a cross to take upon himself all our attempts to get the blessing apart from him. He takes that all upon himself, God's wrath upon himself, to bring about the new covenant, a covenant where all the blessings and promises rest upon Jesus Christ himself. And those who put their faith in him have access to all of these promises. You see, church, our God is not a God who brings about blessing by our own efforts, but by his grace. And thank God for that. And if you're in this building this morning and you've never come to that realization, let me make myself very clear. The true and living God is not a God who calls you to try and be good enough that one day you might be good enough to get into heaven. That's not how it works. It can never work. That's what Abraham tried. It doesn't work. No, the true God is one who actually knows that you can never be good enough. But he took upon himself our sin, our wrongdoing, our brokenness upon the cross. And he rises again, showing that he has victory over it. That all your wrongdoing has been taken by him. And then he says, come to me. Come to me and trust me. Trust that what I've said is true. Trust that I have done the work. Enter into a relationship with me that is based upon grace. In all your mess, trust me. Repent, turn away from your sins. Turn away from trying to get your blessing from everything else and turn to him. This is our amazing God. Not a God who says, try and be good enough, but a God that says, you're not good enough, but I am. I am. To those of us here who are in Christ, consider the question that we ask today. Take it seriously. Ask God to reveal to you how you might be trying to achieve his blessings apart from him himself. How you might be trying to achieve the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. You know, your circumstances may not look like you thought they look would, would look. You know, Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't the way that they thought it would take place. And, and your life may not be looking like you thought it would look in your relationship with God. But trust in him. Trust that his timing and his blessings are the best thing for you. His promises are sure. And church, be encouraged to look to God's promises. You see, the only thing that helped Abraham in the midst of his own sin and his own attempts to to bring about the blessing was God's reassurance, God's word to him. And do you know what the amazing thing is? We have God's word. We have access to it every single day to behold these amazing promises that all find their yes in Jesus Christ. Church, the solution to all of your sin problems and all your attempts to run after other gods 
is his word to you, is his promises to you, is to behold the wonder and beauty of Christ and to know that only he can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. Look to the wonderful promises of God. Each day, how are we doing that? How are we coming to the end of ourselves? How are we dying to ourself and our own attempts to be righteous by our own means every day? Because every day, if we're not doing that, we will default to be like Abraham. We will default to try and get the blessing apart from God. Look to him. Read God's word, not just in our heads, but apply these amazing truths to our hearts. That God's promises are enough. That the blessings we have in Christ are enough. That his promises come completely by grace and not by works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your good news. I'm so grateful and we're so grateful, Lord, that, that we don't have to try and be good enough to please you enough that one day you might accept us, that you've actually gone to the cross because we're not good enough. Lord, that you went to the cross to take upon yourself all of our sins, all of our rottenness, our brokenness, Lord, and you paid for it, that we can come to you freely, Lord. We can turn away from the things we're running to to instead of you and turn to you, Lord. Thank you that you accept us. Thank you that you love us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness. Lord, help us. I pray for those who don't know you this morning, that they'll come into a relationship with you through the free work of, through the costly work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. Lord, I pray for us who know you, that you help us to be really aware of ourselves, to know when we're trying to seek blessing and approval and whatever it is from other people, from other things apart from you, Lord. Help us each day to come to a place of surrender to our own attempts and to look to your beautiful promises in Jesus Christ, to look to him who is our life and our hope. And so, Lord, we commit these things to you now. Lord, we need you. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.